0: I'm um, Brent Leary. I'm um, Paul Greenberg. Did we continue to have to say that every week? You know what? The answer is yes,
1: even though hopefully people have figured out where the CRM play is by this time after 12 years of drilling it into their brains.
0: It doesn't sound too uh, attractive the way you just No, not today. particularly.
1: Actually, now that but, I say that, can you edit you know. that out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. well, When they uh, come up with a tool that allows you to edit out live stream stuff. And we'll then turn that. back time a little bit. <laughs> well, HG Wells may have already done that. We don't know. Uh, but anyway, we are the CRM players. It is Thursday afternoon. And I think that's a good thing.
1: Uh, <laughs> Well... It's a good thing that there is a Thursday afternoon, which allows for the fact that means it was a Thursday morning and there will be a Thursday evening, most likely.
0: Let's hope so. But we know one thing. Sven is in the house.
1: Whoa, way to go. Newly published thought leader author, Sven. Oh, it's up. Way. It's up.
0: Do a plug. It,
1: yeah, it's uh here. I'll one maybe uh, uh I don't know. I'll find a link and then okay, but we saw Adrian. Hey man, I know why he's on because vanilla forums uh is communities and also has some he's probably interested in what's gonna be we're gonna say about the uh journey orchestration company that got acquired. Hey Christy <laughs>
0: Miller time. It's always well actually I never was a big Miller fan.
1: Me either. Well, well Steve not Miller band. Right. Not- Fair enough. There. Right, Steve Miller it's Steve Miller time. And but, uh, <laughs> but if you're going to drink Miller, drink Miller Lite. It's only 95 calories. That's what they always say.
0: I just never like the taste of Miller. So I don't
1: like to taste the beer particularly, so I kind
0: of grown out of it a bit. Yeah. Do you drink anything alcoholic? I'm a I would consider myself a social drinker and so I've been locked Wait. in this house for like two years now. I, so there's no social. And if there's no social, I don't want to be in my house just <laughs> liquoring it up by myself. That's that would not be a good way to go.
1: Especially during <laughs> a Rams game.
0: <laughs> no, that could be a tragedy by the first quarter. It'd to be
1: too late. <laughs>
0: <laughs> by the way, since you mentioned it, yeah, my hat.
1: Well, it's, it's gorgeous, but there's not your audio technica <laughs> headphones are blocking oh, you, anything above you it. You can't see the, it's, the no, logo? it's the logo is clear. It's it wait that's what
0: I'm talking about. What what <laughs> logo the hell is that? This is one of the this is the very first uh Cleveland Ram logo Whoa. design. Yeah, this is what it looked like back in the 30s, and actually, and I won't go too low in into this thing here, but do you know that the first team ever to put a logo on their helmet were the Rams? No, I did not
1: know that. And that's the logo that was on their that's the
0: logo. It's the very first logo cool. for, for an NFL team.
1: And you know what's interesting? It looks just like an actual Ram.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I don't like that Ram as much as I like the the one that I grew up with. Well, you of know, course. That's, you know. But
1: I don't like the Highlanders I, logo, particularly.
0: Oh, I mean, what is a Highlander? Is that like Duncan, whatever yeah. that guy was? Duncan
1: Ruth. <laughs> Duncan Ruth. Duncan no. Ruth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I had such good luck last week wearing a Cleveland Rams hat. I decided mm. I'd do it again.
1: This is the carry forward the superstition. Wear the same T-shirt for the next two months until the Super Bowl's over and you've won it, right? So you have to wear the same T-shirt, though.
0: Shows what is important for the Rams. I, I am not sure exactly what, that, what means. that means. But
1: but yes, the answer is Sven. Again, you're a published author. We have no,
0: no disagreements with you. All right. So did you want to just make a quick shout-out to what uh, Sven wrote about?
1: Well, actually, if I could find it. So Sven for a long time you know we well a few months ago actually uh, we challenged we had this discussion at the happier hour or now the excuse me the well then it was still the happier hour but now it's the even more joyous hour uh that we do every wednesday at 3:30 p.m. all welcome um on supply chains impact on customer experience it's just again the discussion that happened to come up none, keep in mind we don't we're not as intellectually capable as we all sound by having these discussions. We're just like shooting the breeze about them. Okay. So I challenged everybody there could write a post on supply chain and CX and how it impacted. Sven took the challenge and I have another one in the hopper, but I won't say from whom until I've read it. So I haven't read it yet. Sven took the challenge and wrote a basically There it is. A 3,000 word post on the supply chain's relationship to customer experience. Really fascinating stuff. Makes some really good cogent arguments. Has some very good examples. There's one particularly about temperature controlled cold uh, storage and ships. Um, and, And it's done a really good job. So uh we finally got it in front of the editors, it took a little while of, you know, back and forth, but got it up to the editors uh, yesterday, and they put it out there today. And you can all, I, I would highly suggest you go to ZDNet and read it. Um, there's a lot of worthy uh, knowledge and information. Sven has a, you know, conceptually interesting um framework that he talks about. He's not... Highly specific. There are some specific things, but the idea of this is to set a CX supply chain kind of uh, interoperability uh, of the parts and pieces relationship. Right? How do they interrelate? How do they work? What would be a decent framework to be thinking about it, given a customer-centric view of the supply chain? And it's it's well worth it. Yeah. Now this was your ideas, my friend, not mine. Um, So it's
0: Drop the link in the comments section so people... Yeah, do, yeah
1: do us a favor and do that for us. Drop the link in the comments.
0: Thank you. Very cool. Whenever it's up. Very okay. cool. All right. So we do have a, a, very, a first for us. We're, we're breaking out a brand new segment for the show. Well, that'll happen in a couple of minutes. Before we get to that, we did have some pretty breaking news. That happened uh, not that long ago, about an hour
1: no. or so ago? Yeah, probably about three hours now, two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, big news. Go ahead. Actually, big, big news for me anyway. I I think it was very important. So Thunderhead, who you know we've been advocates of for a long time on the show, um, was acquired by Medallia. Now, honestly, I knew that at some point Thunderhead was gonna get acquired, they would get funding, whatever. Medallia, although in, re- in retrospect, I'll explain in a second, but Medallia was not I didn't I just didn't think they would have the available funds because Thunderhead, you know, is world class leading in its category. So but they did. And that was announced about two and a half hours ago. It's public. I've already gotten about twenty people who have sent me the um, the uh, press release link and said to me, the, the, most of their comments were roughly of the equivalent of WTF, question mark, <laughs> right? Right, so I'm not kidding. Some of them were specifically that, more than one. Um, so look, here's a very simple thing. And then Brent, why don't you, you know, weigh in? Uh, so if you look at Medallia for a long time, they've gone from you know what they used to call enterprise feedback management to customer engagement as their both message, but also as their platform focus. And in the course of that, over the last couple of years or so, you know, went to a, uh, it got, um, I forget the name of the company that bought them. I want to say it was Vista, one of those kind of companies, but I don't remember, but they got a new management team and Leslie Stretch, who is a former CEO of Calidus Cloud and rory cameron who was running litmus and the you know came through the litmus acquisition the callous cloud was an irish raconteur and uh and visionary um uh rory you know and les uh leslie are both at Medallia now and as i said leslie's the ceo so you know needs to say that piqued my interest callous cloud was my client for five years and I got to know both of those guys pretty well and they're great people um and um they have claimed for the last couple of years that they have part of their offering is customer uh I mean, it's journey orchestration and honestly it it wasn't it they did nothing that I would call journey orchestration that they were offering they had some journey analytics a little bit you know, they had a little bit of, I'll call it journey building, and a little bit of journey tracking, but not nothing that you could in the, any approximate way called journey orchestration. This acquisition not only gives it to them, but it gives it to them at the top of top of the class. I mean, you're talking about the company that pretty much owns the the orchestration and analytics categories for the magic quadrant, for the waves. They win the watch list. I mean, this is a company that has pretty much been a world-class company since their creation. And you know, their chief uh their chief architect who's good friends of the show and us is um Ray Gerber. And Ray built that, he built that platform. And again, extraordinary platform. And and think of mine, this is a platform that not only has orchestration, but it has RTIM too, which is something that I'll put it this way Medallia was so far from RTIM, they didn't even claim it. So, you know, the thing is that um, Medallia has just acquired, well, let me put it in very simple terms. I've been advising Thunderhead for seven and a half years, and uh, I know them incredibly well. In my history as a CRM guy, and this in its own way goes to our other segment, I guess, given it has to do with CRM history. Glenn, I mean, uh, Esteban. Digital
0: pestilence.
1: (laughs) Truly is throwing throwing cold water, right? So uh, um, anyway, so uh, my favorite product of all time for many years um, agree with you there. My product of all favorite product of all time was Epiphany. Wow, then, and it was independent when it was an independent company, I knew it well, and That's I loved like that product. Yeah, and now, I've I'm known maybe? them probably since '99, and I've hmm. known them all the way through their ultimate acquisition by Infor. Who, to be candid, it's completely I've never understood it and completely used, wasted it, and it's now a shell of what it was. But... As an RTIM, as a product, it was my favorite. After understanding Thunderhead for a short while, my favorite product of all time, produced in the CRM-ish universe, which is the only universe I pretty much inhabited. <laughs> excuse me, is Thunderhead without a doubt? It's not, and it, to be honest, not even close anywhere else. It is my favorite product for what it does, how well it does it. And so this acquisition by Medallia, for Medallia, it's great. For Thunderhead, if Medallia is willing to continue to invest in the product, because again, Infor didn't understand epiphany and let the product decline dramatically. If yeah. Medallia is willing to continue to invest in the product, as Esteban said, even if they're not, it'll probably go for another 20 years before anyone even catches up to it. But, um, but if Medallia continue to invest in the product, this is a good thing for Thunderhead too. But again, the, the caveat being continuing to invest in the product at the level that it needs, because this is this piece is always critical to an engagement platform, right? You can not, you're not an engagement platform if you don't have this piece as part of the platform. And there are companies that are close to engagement platforms, like Pega, who don't quite have orchestration yet. It's their missing piece, for example. On the other hand, they do most everything else right. But in the case of Medallia, they've now really, really upped their game by, I think, a significant amount. And I'm hoping that they get my very public message here, start investing in that, continue to invest in that product to make it what it can still become because it dominates already. So there you have it. What
0: do you think? Uh I think we don't have enough time. <laughs> so I'm going to go to something something else real quick right. before right. we get into the full segment. But I wouldn't disagree with anything you said. Um but I want to play I'm going to play this clip cuz there was right. there was another acquisition that probably got more attention than uh you know this one did. Let me see if I can bring that up.
1: Oh, I know what you're going to bring up. this is it. I'll let you, I'll leave this to you. That's
0: not it. What was that? What was that? <laughs> That's it.
1: Somebody acquired a microphone.
0: <laughs> wow. Oh, maybe this is it. No, that is definitely not it. Oh, yeah. There it is. Here it
2: Game-changing goes. deal on Wall Street today. Microsoft announced plans it'll buy the video game maker Activision Blizzard. It's an all-cash deal worth nearly $70 billion. If it closes, Microsoft would expand its already massive Xbox business. It would secure the video game giant known for the popular games, including Call of Duty, World of Witchcraft, Tony Hawk's uh, World of Warcraft, I'm to say. (laughs) Tony Hawk's uh, Skater Stuff and Candy Crush.
1: Guys, clearly not a gamer. In an interview today
2: on CNBC's Squawk Box, the Microsoft gaming CEO said the deal will go a long way to help his company stay competitive in the metaverse.
0: We look at the importance to us at Microsoft Gaming of people playing on mobile. We look at the coming metaverse, the opportunities that we need with great IP. Uh, We really saw this as an amazing opportunity. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that part up because then he starts talking about some stuff that I don't think is really interesting. So what do you think? $70 my main thought was... Not too many companies can buy for $20 billion or so nuance in 2021. And then in 2022, right at the beginning. So it's not even been a full 12 months here. Can then buy a company playing in a completely different industry for almost three and a half times that they spent the year before and we're talking cash. about almost a hundred billion dollars <laughs> in less than a year's time in cash mm-hmm. i don't know if it's going to be successful or not but i just like the fact that it happened and that they're doing it yeah it's microsoft but how many other companies you could probably count on your hand the number of companies that can pull that kind of thing off. Now, will it be successful? I don't know, but it, they're going into a, a huge market. I think if this acquisition goes through, they become number three in that space. Yeah. And and what the CEO, what do they call them? The CEO of the entertainment Microsoft thing, gaming. whatever. Yeah, gaming. gaming. It's not just about the current state. It's about how do you leverage that and what they already have as it moves into the metaverse or whatever you want to call it. I know you don't really like that name, but
1: well, I, again, yeah. I'm going DC all the way multiverse <laughs> multiverse for me.
0: Yeah. So I thought that's really interesting, but you know what the most interesting thing, and then we will bring our, our guests in and I'm sure they may have some thoughts around this. Let me see if I can bring this up. Okay. So I went to YouTube And did a search on Microsoft Activision acquisition. So we're only talking about a a day long of people actually being able to do this. Talk about this, really. Or a couple days. I don't know. But anyway, I just wanted the last day. So if you can see on the screen. Now, the first two, they are clips from CNBC. So these are guys. Got the television channel. They got kind of... Some of the folks that people know. And, of course, this is a big deal. Each video from CNBC, one is 9. I guess 9,400 views. The next yeah. one there, about 11,000 views. Pretty good. But look at the ones beneath it. These are no names. At least no names to me. People I have no clue who, are, who they are, what they do. Look at the number of views that they have compared to the tried and true, the CNBC, that one that says Sony lost 20 billion. That was only out for four hours. And I literally just did this right before we did the show. It's already got 26,000 views. And the one beneath it, some dude named Angry Joe. Angry Joe show. I don't know. I know Morning Joe, but this is Angry Joe. Look at how many views Angry Joe has in a day compared to CNBC. 542,000 views by some dude named Angry Joe.
1: So let me tell you something related to that specific thing because here's the thing. So that's both the strength of how content gets consumed nowadays and there's a very specific thing there that tells you how problematic this is because he says Microsoft (laughs) Xbox buys Activision. He knows what he's saying. He knows, first of all, Microsoft bought it. Gaming bought it. Not Xbox. But Xbox (laughs) sets up clickbait. Right? And he knows that. Yeah. So you're dealing with a guy who's wrong about what he's saying. And he put the actual dollar amount in there, too. Right. 68 billion. The guy is doing clickbait. And he's very acquainted with it. And the thing is, again... He's doing clickbait at the expense of actual information, right? He's right about the acquisition amount, but. Um, well,
0: I don't know. But the I didn't Microsoft watch the video. Xbox. I don't, well, I'm I don't know what he's saying in the video.
1: It doesn't matter. His headline alone is designed to bring that kind of views the because grass. he knows Xbox is going to get a hell of a lot more views than just plain old Microsoft. Well,
0: in his world, which I'm guessing he's big into the gaming space. Yeah, I'm guessing. The name too. Microsoft doesn't mean Jack without right. Xbox included. But so, he's also willing to twist the actual
1: information. So,
0: But look where the eyeballs go oh, compared yeah. to Different the world. CNBC. It's it's just fascinating to me. And I'm guessing that our guests that we will be bringing on now. Oh, wait, wait. Before you do, I just uh-oh. realized that we can change the
1: name of our show to CRM Players Station. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That is great, actually. I <laughs> wish I had thought of that one. Jeez,
1: that's our new show, "Siren PlayStation."
0: <laughs> All right, well, sp- oh, and one last thing before I bring our guests on. This is just a pet peeve of me. Uh, on mine, why the Whoa. hell is LeBron James yeah. wearing a Rams hat? He's a notorious Dallas Cowboys fan. Now that he's out in L.A., now that- in a pink Rams hat. Exactly. What the hell that's is what I was about to say. A pink Rams hat that has nothing underneath it, but some you lines. Got to be kidding me! Right, this is terrible. This guy's like a big Cowboys fan, and although in baseball, you know who his favorite team is right.
1: No, who, on, the Yankees. Yeah, a Yankees. Yeah, he's the Yankees. Yeah, I know he's a front runner. Yeah. He oh, really man. is. It's pretty clear. Cowboys Yankees yeah. combinations usually
0: are. <laughs> That's true. All right. So why don't we do this? I'm going to introduce the new segment and you can introduce the actual folks that'll be in the new segment. That sound good. uh, Yeah. I'm all all ready. I'll give the backstory. All right. So I don't know when I started this, but I think it must've been after I started being a part of the Gilmore gang. I think it might actually be the first time that Steve Gilmore, who is, the founder, the moderator, and where Gilmore comes into this whole Gilmore gang thing. He visited us. I think it was one of those Salesforce conferences. I don't think it was right. Dreamforce. No. It was some one of those. And we were at this hotel. The Intercontinental. We, yeah, the Intercontinental. And we invited him to come over and do a segment, record a segment. This is back when people could actually like get together and be face-to-face, and things like that. So, he did it, and as I was introducing him, I think for the very first time I said, the venerable Steve Gilmore. And I noticed he kind of like recoiled a bit.
3: Hmm.
0: And of course, when I see something like that, it just makes me want to say it more. (laughs) So I believe I started saying it more, and then of course... I kind of started introducing you for certain stuff as the venerable Paul Greenberg, right? And you had the same recoil action that Steve did. And I always thought, you know, venerable is a a good thing, saying something like that. Matter of fact, let me bring this up. So this is Merriam-Webster, right? Calling forth respect through rage. Character,
1: attainments—that's
0: all a we're looking way, at. Right?
1: That's one A. We're looking at it as one B.
0: <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> impressive. Yeah, meaning we've managed to live this long.
0: It's impressive, but it's all that we're still alive. Respect, character, attainments. uh old. you know, old. respect. You managed
1: to live this long. We respect you yeah. because you're old and have survived and, somehow. <laughs> And then,
0: if you take it a step further, uh, synonyms for venerable, hallowed, revered, reverent, all good stuff, right? And then lastly, other words from venerable. I honest to God, thought you made up venerableness. I I thought I did too. I really (laughs) did, until I looked this thing up, and I was like, damn. Because I thought they were just playing off of you know, ridiculousness, I thought, oh, ridiculousness, venerableness, we'll do that. So we thought we'd do, as a matter of fact, I don't know how many people are aware of the MTV show. It's called ridiculousness, which I thought I was being cute and naming venerableness after that. But this is actually where my idea came from.
1: Yeah, well I look just like him. <laughs> here's the here's the think, rough... You know what? I have to say that's a great name for a show. Look at <laughs> that. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> Not bad.
0: I thought that Whoa, was. Whoa, video trickery. That was so great. For our very first. Very first venerableness segment on CRM players. What did you call it? CRM players what? Station. CRM players. CRM Players Station. Station. Why don't you introduce our first two guests for the venerableness segment? Okay, bring them on after I'm
1: done with both. Okay, okay we'll do that. All right. So we're going to start with the venerable, <laughs> uh, venerable. This is my way of distancing myself from the word. Right. We're going to start from the, with the first and foremost with the venerable Steve Gilmore. Now. You've seen Steve, many of you have seen Steve on the show. He's an incredibly well-known guy throughout the both the universe and the metaverse, apparently. Too. <laughs> um, he is not only a genuine pioneer of what we now call is the social universe, but w- and he was literally the person who created the second ever podcast in the history of podcasts. It has continued through this day as the Gilmore gang, which of course now gone to live streaming and Brent's one of the uh, contemporary Gilmore gang. Um, And uh, not only that, though, Steve has a long history in the world of rock and pop music, in comedy. Um, One thing I will mention without going into all of his his music history was one of the greatest pioneer comedy teams of all time was the Firesign Theater. I was a huge fan of them in the 60s. They were, the, they were the, the same kind of humor you see, well, similar type of humor you see with uh, Saturday Night Live, Steve Martin, you know, the kind of ironic, sarcastic, uh, um, what's the word I'm thinking of, satirical humor was their forte and tended to that kind of ridiculousness, but in a way that you actually knew what they were talking about. They were brilliant. Steve was a producer of theirs. I mean, Steve has a history that's shaped in part as, as a, pl- a part to play, had played a part in shaping contemporary uh, American culture and, and so or contemporary culture, period, really. And now he, of course, is a VP of uh, social strategy at Salesforce. He is um, he's still carrying the Gilmore Gang out after 20-some-odd years he uh he's a remarkable guy his insights are tremendous now michael Mose, minute. and Mike. all that qualifies him
0: to be called the venerable steve steve, steve gilmore, gilmore.
1: <laughs> i'm just calling him steve gilmore it qualifies him <laughs> to be called steve gilmore right so uh <laughs> right uh, so now michael Mose. well michael is probably if i'm looking at the last 20 plus years michael's probably the most recognized analyst in the tech world of the last 20 plus years he was uh they i can't remember the exact title it's like emeritus or or they gave him a distinguished was in there somewhere distinguished that's what it was they gave him the they literally at gartner which was where he was an analyst for most of his career um they actually created a title just for him if I remember correctly, and I'm sure he can correct us if I'm wrong, he was the most utilized analyst in Gartner's history. Uh, he is also among the companies out there, the people out there who are involved in our world, the person who, even though he has a great sense of humor, the person who at the same time still has the most gravitas in terms of how, how much people trust him, because they've always trusted Michael to be completely honest with them, but honest with insight and and also with no malevolence, with compassion. Right. And Michael, Michael created one of the creators of CRM as not just a a concept idea, but as an actual market and industry. And he, he, I met Michael all the way back. He was the first analyst I ever met. Um, That's a story. If he wants me to tell it, I'll tell it beyond that. I will not. (laughs) Um, It was more it was funny. It was a good story. And I met him my first day doing anything as a CRM so called expert. So these two guys fully qualify as uh, revered, respected. Keep going. And that's, I'm not going any further. Revered, you know what? respected, and
0: legendary. And they should add to the definition of venerable gravitas, because I like gravitas. That seems I'm going to
1: call them legends. The legends. That's what
0: I'm the calling. The venerable it. legends. So here we are. No. First <laughs> up, Steve Gilmore. And wait a minute, Michael. Uh, we got three dots for Michael Mose here.
3: <laughs> is it, he's there. You are. Oh, you're, you're he's there. there.
0: But
1: the we audio hear is you, there. but we do not see you.
3: Let's see. Let's see if we can do anything about that.
1: I never got Although, to the Salesforce part even. Michael, floating there There you are. are. All right, got so caught up in the moment. (laughs) Hi, guys. Hi, legends. Hi,
0: legends. (laughs) (laughs) So, Michael, um, I told Steve this is going to be all about venerableness. I don't know if Paul described to you, I told him the
3: whole name
1: of the segment.
0: Okay,
3: yeah, I was listening the whole time, but. Considering I, I fall into the be here now category, I don't I don't know what the hell you're talking about.
2: <laughs> He's too young to be a venerable anyway. I
3: I mean, I, I, can, can I just add one thing about? I actually have the best supply chain and customer story. I don't care what your other one is. I've got the better one.
1: Well, no, my, my story is about you. Right? It's <laughs> no, about, no, I'm talking not about the not supply about supply chain, chain or customer.
3: I, I've got to tell this story. Because, uh, so, <laughs> Look at Alan. Right, so, no, no, Alan's. So this you is, might, the best, this you might is the best now. Here. But
1: okay, all right, pick it away. Let me tell it. I
3: got to tell it. It's like thirty seconds. So I'm in, I'm in a toy store, as I often find myself, and um, I am with a six year old and an eight year old. And the eight year old, she's like grabbing by the arm, and she's like, "Come on over here! Come on over here! You got to buy me this." And it's like this loverly <laughs> Inspector play kit. And like, well, why don't you wait till your birthday, wait till the holidays? She goes, supply chain. <laughs>
1: wow. Wow. That, that is amazing. the smartest kid I've ever met.
0: I've ever heard old. of uh,
1: when I was no, eight years old,
0: I, I was screaming, you know, something like the Rams or Dallas <laughs> sucks or something like that. Not supply chain. That's amazing. Oh boy! What a great way to get gifts.
1: (laughs) It's like genius. It is. It's genius. It's
3: genius. You have to have the lovely Inspector Cake Kit right now because it's going to be out of stock. That's right. It's supply chain. She got her. She got her kit. Uh, Well, eighty dollars later,
1: even as a reward for just saying supply chain, you would kind of give it to us. That's huge. You kind of got to do that. It's
3: like shrinkage. Shrinkage. Never mind.
1: Who's I? I wait lost a minute that one.
3: now. We're going into uh,
1: I'm
0: missing Holy a movie. Oh, reference. no, somewhere. no, we're going to the Seinfeld. I
1: oh, that is, I forgot. All later George
0: Shrink were anyway. so far off.
1: From so, I've been working state.
3: with Steve for years. I had no idea that one of my favorites when, when my uncle taught me about uh, fire sign theater. I had no idea. Nick Danger. I had Steve has never even alluded to that part of his He's life.
1: Very um. Steve, you're very um, humble about those things. But, he really is. I mean, Yeah, I, I'm not humble for you on that. <laughs> wow. Sorry. What I, I really- think those are monster achievements. I'm it's just amazing. waiting for
0: him to ask us questions to try to
1: yeah, throw why. everybody
0: Don't
2: off
1: worry, of him right now. now.
0: So I,
2: I, I, I promised promise. that I would, I would not do that. Uh, I rescind my promise, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so I,
1: I <laughs> yeah. and, and
2: I just want to say that... Uh, Michael Mose, I've known since before, not long before, yeah. but before the arts, I started in Salesforce. Arts. And, uh, you know, all the plaudits don't even get close. To I agree. How smart this guy is. I agree. Or the impact, Michael, that you had
1: on this whole industry either. I mean, you know, from, <laughs> I am going to tell that story. Oh, it's a great story, Paul. It is a great story. Please. So when I wrote the first edition of CRM to Speed of Light, because I became McGraw-Hill's in-house CRM expert, because they, of course, know nothing about CRM, um, (laughs) they do this... So they have this annual event, and Terry McGraw himself comes to the event, and everybody basically bows to him. And I mean, really bows to him, right? And like... They told, when I when I was coming, they said, well, uh, I said, do I need a jacket and tie? I still remember this. And they said, no, you can just wear like a jacket, no ties necessary, but you don't even need that. And I go there and everybody, even the guy who tells me I don't need it, is wearing a jacket and tie, right? And I said, why do you tell me I don't need a jacket and tie? I said, and for that matter, why are you wearing a jacket and tie? And he goes, well, Terry is, what we actually said. That's how they're kissing his butt, right? So- Anyway, we Michael, Martha Rogers, me, this complete jackass from I think Scandia or something like that, uh, on this panel, and Martha and Michael kind of do more the keynote side of it, and I'm me and jackass are um, more the you know panelists doing the thing, and then after after that, we go to this um, we go up for lunch. Now I had just been told. By my editor at the time, Roger Stewart, who's a wonderful guy, still his great friend, that McGraw-Hill had undercut massive cuts. They had laid off three thousand people, shut offices, the whole thing. They take Michael, me, Martha, etc., up to this dining room. You first, when you come off the elevator, you literally feel like you're in British Imperial India in 1880, with wow. rotating fans and that whole Victorian. Thing going with all the architecture of the room and they take us into a dining room and there are these tuxedoed uh, waiters with like claws over their arm and they give us this menu and the menu is so extensive it's had 12 bays on the menu right I mean that we had so many options this is after they said they laid off 3,000 people mm. and these guys are living the life of a lord in British Imperial India Right. So anyway, I was disgusted by this and I apparently like showed it without knowing it. So as we're leaving, go on the elevator. Michael comes up on the elevator, looks at me and says, I saw you rolling your eyes in there. He said, couldn't agree more. And from that day on, it was like, we were just fast friends. It was that day. I mean, it was so, it was like both of us understood what a massive disconnect this was, right, that was going on in this room. Yeah, they had no choice. I didn't bring one, Alan. So I couldn't <laughs> go in. Right? But I went in. Um, so um, I'll never forget that, but that was the day I met him. Was He had noticed that I was literally rolling my eyes at this thing because it was <laughs> so disgusted by it. Of course, we didn't leave either. We ate. But um, <laughs> at the same time, well, we weren't trying to be impolite particularly, but uh, at the same time it was really, talk about a company that was showing us what a debacle they really were at the time that was the one. And, and he and I both kind of nailed it. Let's just say at the same time. And I had heard of him, but I didn't, hadn't met him, you know, and same with Martha Rogers, who I met that same day. Um, wow. And I was just like in love with him. What would you, Michael from that day on? I'll never forget it. Never forget. It, it was like 2001. Right. So it goes all the way back. And Steve, of course, I met at, um, at the uh uh when they acquired radian 6 at the radian 6 uh uh their actual first and last user conference and we just connected so quickly that we had dinner at we sat together at dinner i still remember steve at that time still had that earring in his ear i still i remember thinking yeah oh steve had an earring oh yeah i think tina made you take it out eventually right are there any pictures of this I'd love to see that. I don't think so. Do you have a picture no. of Steve with the earring? No comment. Okay. But <laughs> but I, again, same thing, immediate love. And then Steve started talking to me about some of his background. And, you know, because I lived through that just like he did. And, Michael, you probably did, right? Um, you've lived to the tail end of it. And so um, I was blown away. I was just beyond blown away. I was just like, I'm in the presence not only of this wonderful person, but of history, too. And I really wow. felt that, and I still do. So there you have it. There's the rest of my tribute to the two venerable people in this song.
2: Wait
0: a minute.
1: I think <laughs> the you've counted venerable people. a little low. Yeah. Counting perfectly It's like how
2: he <laughs> took himself I'm out counting exactly right. I'm counting exactly right. I'm using collagen. By reason of age. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. I'll I'm, I'm just throw you. something
0: out there. Yeah, let's go ahead. Um, after the event's of this week, and I know not to be specific with vendors because I, you guys work at a vendor, but after the events of this week, do you think the metaverse becomes more real, a, a, a thing that will actually happen and be significant, or it really still hasn't gotten to that point to be taking it too seriously right now? <laughs>
3: Well, to say, is the metaverse becoming more real? That's kind of like an oxymoron, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why you guys are venerable.
1: <laughs> Come on. Like, that's, that's awesome. One. That's why you guys are venerable.
2: <laughs> no, it, it,
3: you know, Think about it. It's, it's been going on for a, a long, long time. And, it, it, and there's so many different definitions of metaverse, right? So uh, I, I sit with this kid every day and uh, we kind of like sometimes go skating, sometimes hit, hit a soccer ball. And sometimes I sit and watch them play Roblox, like right? six years old Roblox. And, you know, that's, that's metaverse in training, if you want to think about it. That's, mm. that's really the MIT for, for six-year-olds when think about all the things they're doing. They're completely immersed at almost a daily basis. Hundreds of millions of people are in that thing. And think about the things they're doing. They're, they're different dimensions working. So you have to make really quick critical decisions about do I want to give up some coin or gain some coin? Do I want to accelerate and, and go after? Do I want to go to another level? How much risk do I want to take on? I mean, is this real or is this real? This is, this is real. This is a total reality where they're meeting people, kind of people, but not real people. And when we're talking on you know, on a FaceTime or, or sending me a TikTok, like the six-year-old, he's in the face of a rabbit. <laughs> he's like talking like him, but he looks like a rabbit. So yeah, this, this 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 is this is uh, in, in the sense that we are getting more meta anyway. Ever since we started printing paper and calling this value, and then we said gold represents value, and then it's like and now we're, we're we're doing you know Bitcoin and non fungible tokens, and we're calling them real. So this is this is just a a, a step along the way, and I think every major crisis in history has launched another launch, another step into like meta stuff, like Dadaism after World War I, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> and, and like, this War is just One. this is just setting things free. And, and I, I, I like that. It's another step into meta that we've been on for hundreds of years.
1: Well, do you remember the venerable old slogan that we all had in the 60s, which was you are what you eat? It's pretty much the same thing that you're talking that about. That came out in it? the 60s? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah.
2: That oh, yeah. was a, a short film uh, that the uh, band did the music for. No kidding, the band yeah. did the music for that. Yeah, it was uh, uh, John Simon. Their producer uh, was brought to Woodstock uh, in order to uh, pull that together. Mm-hmm. It was uh, some of the people that did the Dylan documentaries were involved in that. Amazing,
1: and that that expression became timeless. But it goes to the point of, oh, okay. This is value, okay? It's value. I mean, you are you eat, right. It's it's pretty much what it. So, if you want to really go back, you can probably define it from the, from that that in effect that movie, not literally, but um, you what know, is that? that Mrs. The Mrs. Idea.
0: Robinson would they, they start talking about all the no, industries? Mrs.
1: Robinson was. Um, you mean the the song? When, well, The Graduate is it? The Graduate? Yeah, The Graduate. That was no, that wasn't it. that when was when the guy oh,
0: he goes around. And every person he talks to says, you need to go into this. You need to go on that. Plastic. No, it's yeah, plastic. That. Whatever. I, I, I wasn't around really for that. So,
2: just uh, Notice way. how Movie. he moved out of the venerable category. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite, quite the assumption. So, I, I, In violation of my uh, uh, role here, uh, Michael, can you explain uh, <laughs> if you think <laughs> some sort of... Uh, uh in significance of the metaverse to uh, the enterprise yeah well, to, to the
3: enterprise i mean just think about uh what the some of the football teams in europe are doing right now we, we call them soccer teams but they're they're you know football teams what are they doing like some of the clubs are starting to give out these tokens and you know, for 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 being fans and the more tokens you have the more credibility you have the more you get to influence you get to influence uh, kind of uh, what, what, what kind of merch they're they're selling? What kind of food they're selling? What kind of partnerships they they, they get into? Um, th- this this metaverse stuff is going to mean a lot to businesses. If they're trying to do things like provenance, right? To move into more meta. I, now I actually know Brent Leary when he says he's ABCDEF, like what the hell do I know? You put it on LinkedIn, it's all a bunch of you know deep fake garbage, right? But mm-hmm. now I, I'm using something like blockchain. And I've got certificates and everything he says, it has a provenance. And now we can be as meta as you want. It it's there. So I can certify that the people I partner with are ethical, that they are inclusive, that there's, there's, there's supply chain, that they're governance, there's sustainability. It's it's all there vetted. And it's and if I wanted to own something virtual, I could never actually own something virtual because everything. On the internet is infinitely replicable. But now I can use the, the metaverse to say, no, this is mine. This you brought up LeBron, right? I own a, a great slam dunk of LeBron. I own that. Only me. Right? It, it's mine. <laughs> it's like that's very meta. Yeah. Well, what is art anyway? What the hell is it? I'm looking at this picture on my wall. It's not I, I didn't create that. Someone else created it. It's a lithograph. There are a hundred more. But this slam dunk, it belongs to me, buddy, not you. So I think and, you know, commercially there are gonna be, all those things I just talked about, about, about ESG, that, that's all gonna be the sustainability thing all around the supply chain, all, all around identity. It's gonna open up incredible vistas and even in medical care, medical certifications, vaccine certifications, it's almost endless what you can, what you can do with the metaverse. So well, we got Christie asking,
0: "Explain metaverse in ten words or less."
1: It's a very no. You can't do it in ten words or less. Right? There's the explanation. Sorry, Christie. That was less than ten words. <laughs> that was <laughs> that's right.
0: Well, right? That's
1: Steve, a meta what do you thing think? about metaverse. we're, we're... That All was right. mine.
0: Who? That's, that that's, was that's a venerable actual... ringtone.
1: That's my, ring that's yes, my ringtone. That's my ringtone. I know it wasn't mine. <laughs> I, I always think that's hilarious because it's my phone saying, who are you? <laughs> right. So coming in, and it's, the, it's the who.
0: So Steve, give, give us your thoughts on what role do you think, since we kind of, it sounds like we're definitely going in that direction. What role will it play in not only consumers, but in the enterprise going forward?
2: Well, I think that, uh, well, first of all, what Michael said, I thought was uh, the answer is yes, it is uh, uh, significant for the enterprise. But I also, I mean, I, I think uh, Michael and I both work for a guy, uh, Mark Benioff, who, uh, in my opinion, uh, had the uh, subtle insight to uh, observe the consumer space. And then move it to the enterprise space. So I, I, I think that uh, we're going to see a lot coming from, uh, you know, the there's a, an argument underway about what Web three is. And personally, I couldn't care <clears throat> less. But uh, but there's certainly uh, a, a lot of excitement about how do you uh, create uh, these uh, cow paths, if you will. Uh, so that you can then get all that goodness that uh, Michael mentioned on top of it. Uh, How does it get funded? How does it get uh, built out? Uh, What is the impact of uh, open standards on that uh, development? Uh, And I think they're starting to fight that out right now uh, in what's uh, allegedly called the media. And I just want to give a shout out to you guys, uh, because this is one of the first examples, I think, of a, an enterprise-focused uh, media play that the only answer to it uh, on the part of the so-called mainstream media is to absorb it. Uh, yeah. what we're, That's what we're looking for, be acquired. Yeah,
0: we, 70 billion. We'll go with just 70 billion. Yeah, okay. that
1: we appreciate that. I mean, no, but, I, I, I don't,
2: it's not a compliment, it's an Okay, it's an
1: insult. <laughs> that's a proof of that's just a proof of crotchety and old, not venerable.
2: <laughs> Thank you, right? It's uh, not a compliment. I'll take it. Get off, <laughs> my... <That's> all right.
1: <laughs> hey, Steve, I'll, and then Michael, follow if maybe you can follow with the after Steve here. You, you do a lot of focusing around the cultural aspects of this, you know, look at your newsletter you know, they tend to be focused really around cultural impact and and also impact on culture, right? Not just the impact of mm. the culture, but on the culture of varying things, regardless of, you know, sometimes they're media-specific, sometimes they're technology-specific, sometimes they're, you know, but things that have impact or are impacted. Um, you know, now we're dealing with, you know... I mean, the metaverse, unfortunately, is a gigantic hype machine, too, and and uh, and so there's so much, you know... I mean, every company in their messaging and about a fourth of the analyst community at this point too are using the metaverse in their offerings, you know, one way or the other. And it's all kind of stupid, but, um, but well, you know, ultimately they just using the word. They're really not doing anything necessarily, unless maybe they're doing some, you know, AR, you know, somebody owns a, a Vive, you know, HTC Vive or something. Uh, you know, but, um, look at the tell me more for, tell us more from the actual impact on the culture and how that's going to impact look we're all in the world of enterprise tech and or tech really more than just the enterprise but business tech i'll call it um but obviously the gaming side impacts us aside from being gigantic business you know we've heard a lot of discussion around the acquisition with the of activision with you know the amount of data that's going to be available for other things to me, a lot of it's going to be interesting from the standpoint of how they compete with things like Steam and, you know, those kind of other gaming side because it's a $200 billion industry. So the question for below is more to me, okay, those things are great. You know, we see, we see metaverse, games, AR, VR, and practical activity on a day-to-day basis without a headset. Um, but ultimately, you're talking about cultural impact, which is really where it's going to have the most profound Um, most profound impact. So how do you see that? And maybe I'm wrong about what I'm saying. You know, if I am, I am. But how do you see that, Steve? Because you you really have a really strong focus on culture.
2: I, I, you know, I don't know if I have a focus on culture. What I do know is that uh, every time I see something that I think is uh, interesting to me, uh, it usually comes from the uh, consumer space. So I don't see it as having an impact on it. I think that it's the driver of it. Uh, And that, uh, you know, I think technologists take a look at that uh, energy and then they figure out how to be able to harness it uh, for uh, business and for creativity. Uh, I was just listening uh, the other night to a um, uh, clubhouse uh, you know, and I, I'm constantly on the gang, constantly reviled by uh this guy in the upper left-hand corner here, uh among others for my fascination with Clubhouse and live audio in general. But uh this was a uh a conversation with uh the director of the movie Don't Look Up. Have any of you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I, love I it. I enjoyed it as most people. Yeah. I it was all right. All right. Uh, yeah. That, I feel the same overdone way. message. Yeah, me. it was all right, but, uh, yeah. but the, the space or the, in this case, the clubhouse room was fascinating because, uh, you know, I come <clears throat> from a, a background of, uh, uh, you know, uh, technology, uh, coming from, uh, directing and, uh, producing in the creative spaces. So to me, This was a goldmine of information that was being served out in real time uh, in a conversation where the director and two of his producers uh, were basically describing the the difficulties of how they navigated the pandemic. Which, as he says in this show, was uh, they didn't even had uh, vaccines hadn't even been invented at this point when they were starting production. And that the impact on that, and also the intersection of uh, his script—he wrote the uh, the movie—and the improvisations that he encourages and navigates with his actors, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, evidently an amazing imp- improvisationalist. Uh, you know, this is uh, when you mention the Firesign Theater. What they gave, uh, I think, to us all was this. Cool ability to sound like they were improvising but actually it's all tightly scripted now there is an element of that in uh interchangeable but so how that lights up uh this conversation uh you know that anybody can just turn on their phone and listen in and possibly if they have something interesting to say there were a bunch of questions coming from the audience this is a profoundly disruptive technology and uh we are at so early days of it but to, to see this uh kind of thing happening uh in the i mean this is going to go as i think some somebody said on the gang about this this is going to go to every business and uh, corporation and uh, theater and you know, everything else is going to be uh, annotated based on this technology or something like it, like what we're doing here. Uh, that's a big deal.
1: You know, Can I just make one there.
0: clarification of the venerable Steve Gilmore's characterization of my thoughts on Clubhouse? I just didn't understand it as a standalone. I think the technology and you know the live audio will just be integrated into you know, the current platforms, or maybe somebody will buy Clubhouse. But no, I think the technology and integrating live audio is definitely an, an important component, <clears throat> but not, on, not as a standalone.
1: I, I, I tend to agree. I see it as a backstage or an after party, really. I mean, the value in that, meaning all those conversations are going after the event clubhouse is a good place to have them um you know i've always seen it that way to be honest once i figured out i was kind of waiting for all the celebrities to get off it because i figured eventually the flame would die and the mods would leave right and uh and I mean, you're for
0: steve to get off of it then no no, no well,
1: i've never no. been on it i mean i've done right.
2: one one of those things but uh i'm sorry uh, paul you were Interrupted by no him. no no go
1: ahead uh, Steve I don't by mind me <laughs> if you're interrupting me I'm happy if Michael interrupts me I'm happy Brent too you can interrupt. Well I've talked no about this
2: uh, uh, off screen with uh, Michael <clears throat> Mose, uh, uh several times and uh, the thing that he said to me uh, you know in his early assessment of this is he said uh, you know I'm fascinated by this I I I'm not sure uh, why or if it's important or not. I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing uh, Michael's reaction to it. But uh, I think that when you see these, there was a a characteristic of Clubhouse and also Twitter Spaces of not being able to record. Uh, And that uh, kind of uh, locked in over the past two months or so. And then uh, they developed these uh, replay functions where uh, the uh, ability to listen to uh, a room or a conversation uh uh was preserved after the actual library Mm -hmm. and uh my feeling was is that this is going to uh uh promote uh small groups of uh of people who are looking for certain kinds of information to band together and there's a new feature on clubhouse to your comment uh rant about standalone there's a new feature called share with clubhouse where uh you can basically take a room you're listening to and share it to the uh, the rest of uh, the people who follow you or you follow i'm not sure which but uh to me that's going to create this kind of uh community aspect of this thing which is going to immediately lead to leaderboards uh to top replays which this uh show that i was just telling you about uh jumped to the top of the top replays and has stayed there for a couple weeks uh you know eventually that's going to sort itself out into uh something other than just the um Uh, celebrity aspects of this i mean remember that this happened with twitter as well it started being all about uh, recommended users and all of that stuff and i'm not sure it's yet survived uh, that issue but certainly there are now it's now recognized that twitter is uh, you know everybody in the congress and in the government uh, basically has a twitter account except for uh people who uh thank god don't have it anymore so i i just think that this is uh something that not to be pigeonholed as being about standalone and i think that the standalone issue is that the driver of these new studio uh community features uh is right now it's clubhouse the rest of these other companies uh that getting in um are gonna have a, a hard time keeping up with all of the innovations from all of these competitors and drive the market forward. Hey, Michael, what's your take
1: on
3: all that? Clubhouse, I don't really have a response. I think you know with the metaverse, if you think about it from a, a very high level, um, religious belief was our metaverse. And uh over generations the, the priests are gone. And the, the new priests hmm. are the internet. And as everything is digitized, we're giving every you know, more and more things up to algorithms. I, I don't, I can't read the weather anymore. You know, people in cities can't tell wind directions. They don't oh, know where's the sun. Well, it's 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 setting. They don't know what day of the moon it is. It's the nineteenth day of the moon today. Who the hell knows or cares? You know, you, you have an algorithm. You have AI you have a, a, a digital analog for everything yeah, you, you need. So the metaverse is a natural progression of everything we're doing. And, and we have, it's, it's nothing pernicious about it. And I, I would argue that during a pandemic, it's been a blessing for many, many people. Um, but with the, with the advances of, of the web, if you want to call it, think about 5G and bandwidth, okay, together with algorithms and AI, it has so much potential to get us back to where we started, you know, we started life in tribes where we knew everyone, where we could be authentic. And the metaverse, you know, in a very paradoxical way, is getting, giving us the opportunity to reestablish ourselves in, in the digital world, the same authenticity that we we, we had starting out.
1: Ooh. Actually, it, that raises a big question, which is defining authenticity in a digital world versus what we're used to as authenticity.
0: Well, um, so. even if we're kind of replicating real life into the metaverse, does that mean we're just replicating the errors and the foibles and the biases that we have in the real world into the metaverse, where everything gets scaled up and spread out? So, the bad stuff gets bigger and spread faster in the metaverse than it does in real life.
3: And and on the other side of that, of course, Brent, there's going to be that as as in any medium, there's, there are going to be um, missteps and, and, and uh, malevolent agents. But on the other hand, the reason I was talking about these new certificates, um, these virtual certificates that I'm going to know your provenance, I'm going to know that you're, 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 you're the real deal or you're not the real deal. Um, and right now, there's so much in the way, just think you know, deep fakes, where a cheerleader can be shown to be, you know, doing something lascivious or pornographic. It turns out it's a deep fake. But there was no certificate behind it. So it was obvious that it was fake. And right? so I think that that there are going to be safeguards, and in the same way in social communities, which Paul did so much to, to bring to light, right? As self-healing systems, where the members do out the falsity and they do reinforce the positive i think we're going to have that that virtuous cycle that's really going to be a self-cleansing aspect to the metaverse
1: any timetable on that kind of thing
3: well we're just in the beginning right you know we think that we're so far along with all this but yeah we are just in baby steps even though you know when, when you and i started the serum space i remember doing a study with a we won't name the company, paid them a lot of money, $50,000. And it came back and said, Sierra might be a half a billion dollar industry. (laughs) Trying to to get money for our company. And, you know, here it is, you know, 60, $70 billion later, still growing at 13, 15%. So, you you know, predictions are, are difficult, especially as regards the future as Einstein used to say. Um, But I I think we're going to, there is going to be this, this, this iterative quality to it there's going to be a heuristic where you know we're we're going to go forward there'll be a false step and like second life there'll be our second life and then mm-hmm. we'll we'll overcome it and and we'll get into the next one so i'm i'm completely positive of, of, about it all and uh, being an optimist by by or whatever a, a realist a realistic optimist uh, i i think that we're going to find that it it brings a lot more harm in, in reality uh, and yeah um it, it, it'll help us. Hopefully, there'll be there'll be empathy in it too. Um, but I'm I, I I think we're in the first inning. So this is baseball. We, we we're probably going to go into overtime like we have right now at the show. Um, but but I think we're really only probably entering the second inning. Okay. Steve? Can I just say,
0: my I don't really consider myself a glass half empty person. <clears throat> but one of the things i'm i'm kind of you know very wary of i guess is the potential for the metaverse whatever form it takes to be controlled by a very small group which can move the needle any way they want to and it's kind of just Maybe the traditional way of looking at it, except 200 years ago, there was a small group of people that had the most of the resources, but it took them a decent amount of time to, to gather the power they need and then just try to move things in the direction. And then you had the, like the antitrust laws come along and trust bust. But that was like physical and it took years and decades. My only issue with the metaverse is. Things are so sped up that control can be wrestled away and implemented in such a shorter amount of time, but it can reach a bigger audience, and that's maybe the biggest concern I have for all this.
1: Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've been joking for months about how I'm focused on the DC comic version of it, which is the multiverse right and because that's already been resolved right um but when it comes to i mean there is one thing that we sort of talk about and don't talk about and talk about right now the metaverse is pretty much in reality as opposed to again marketing use uh is pretty much device driven meaning you got to wear something to participate in the ar vr side of it it's like Maybe it'll be more sophisticated things like glasses at some point, which is already in the, you know, on the way for the AR side. Um, You know, but you're wearing devices on your head, and at the moment, and and to a large extent, you're decoupling that activity from your normal time, right? It's not part of your normal routine, right? It's not your day to day. I mean, you have a world you live in that every day you do things in that you either used to doing have to do. Um, you know, circumstantially occurrence, occurrences happen that you need to take care of. That's the world you've always lived in and the world you've been living in and the world will continue to live in to a large extent, meaning, you know,
3: it's your life, right? But yeah. at I, the moment, know, Paul, the
1: metaverse is a disruption in your life still. Yeah,
3: I, I, I mean, I'm pr- pretty certain that we're going to see a continuation of the privacy laws. You know, things that are like GDPR are going to extend into the metaverse. And, and, and it's not going to be that long, you know, three, five, six years where each of us is going to be able to select what is known about us and the rest will be erased. So, you know, you're going to have the neural miners, you know, the, the Googles and the AWS and the whoever, I don't Maybe. want to mention, technology companies that, sure, they're going to try to mine you, which, why would I buy another, you know, half a billion users to add to my 2 billion users. is not to mine your data, uh, but there's gonna, you know, there's gonna be that sort of a uh, neural mining going on. At the same time, there's going to be the, the counter force of the of the privacy advocates who are gonna uh, let you uh, using technologies like a, a blockchain and certificates to filter out what could be known about you, what you will give up, what will be accessible on nodes on on the internet that, that, 3G, 4G, 5G, whatever comes after it. So, you know, uh, you have to be sanguine ab- ab- about it and cautious. But I do think that in, on, on, a, on you know, over time, there's going to be that. And to someone's comment, it's not going to be, your metaverse is going to be just like internet. <laughs> the, you know, it's right. going to be one for, for doctors doing remote care. And there's going to be another one for remote learning. And there's going to be another one for every sub-segment of life science and, and sports and uh, private you know, communities versus, versus public businesses and governments. So I, I don't think you, you, you can stop thinking about two things. One are the standards and the infrastructure layers that you're gonna have, privacy layers, security layers, from the articulations of it, which are gonna come through things like industries and, and, and come through things like, you know, individual you know, communities of people starting up. So it's you know, not to get too complicated, but it's going to really be a hub and spoke, and the hub is going to be the the technology standards and, and infrastructure, and the spokes are going to be how, just like in real life, how each one of us expresses who we are. So, so let me
1: say one last thing before you get to Thomas's questions. On okay, this. good.
3: Okay, because because um, I think
1: that's probably Stevie also yeah. has the same question for you. So yeah, that might be a good way to close. <clears throat> but let me um, let me say this. To me, when the metaverse evolves to the point it's genuinely going to be successful, it goes from being an event to a moment, basically. Meaning, it the same way what triggered that thought was what you said about the internet. When the internet was first becoming uh, something available to consumers, it was a special thing. It was you know some people had you know 400 baud modems and you know, some people had even as much as 1,200 board modems, and some people would get on. And some, but not everybody ubiquitously used it as just part of the way they conduct their day-to-day life. Um, to me right now, the metaverse is... The, the actions taken as in the metaverse are events in someone's life, meaning they stand out, they're special, they're not... They have to get to the point where they're so culturally assimilated that they're not unique their their moments in the life of a person doing what a person does and which is what the internet's become right that you you know now people think how do you live without it right Um, now people do live without it but but that's a genuine question people have because it's so ubiquitous and so accepted as a legitimate way of participating communicating and interacting so um, that's kind of where I think it needs to go and uh, I you know At that point, sure, I I think to everybody's point, we're at the really early, early part of this. I think right now, just like Clubhouse from the beginning of Clubhouse, right? You have to separate, get the celebrities out of the way, get the marketing out of the way, and then start looking at what it really can do, and then start working on that. And then, you know, Clubhouse, to Steve's point, does have real... I think does have real value, but it's to me. I wrote look, I wrote a long post on this on ZDNet if people want to find it about a year ago. Basically saying, um, here's the crap about it, but here's what's underneath that crap, and that you can't ignore yeah. what's underneath. Yeah, and right? I think that's, so, what Tom, yeah,
3: that's what Thomas is asking, right? What value do you see uh, for for an individual coming out of the metaverse? You know, that's to your point. It, it's you think about the metaverse is right. There's they, just like in, in in real life. There's just, there's Society, so societal or political or economic or cultural. But I can see, just for example, you know, I've got an aging father who is he taking his damn pills or not? Is he upright or not? Uh, can I, you know, can I see or advise him from a distance? Um, you know, technicians are already doing metaversal things. I don't want to go into the Fukushima you know, uh, reactor and fix stuff, but I could send my, my, my drone, I could visualize the whole thing and use my digital twin to fix it from remote, right? So the you know, the metaverse in some ways already has instances many many instances and, and also in entertainment we've talked about them in societal we're going to have to figure that out but there there's so many you know, concrete examples both for, <clears> for pleasure you know in, in arts and games and also from in business uh, that it's 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 going to have so many more benefits than it's going to have things we you know cautions we always had the Luddite in us that's fearful of change. Of course, it is, and it's natural. But on the other hand, that's that's where we're we're going, and yeah, we're going into the metaverse one way or another. It's just a matter of at what pace each of us takes each part of our life.
2: Yep. Hey, Amen, Steve. Steve. Uh, I, you know, I've been waiting to listen to Michael, and now I've been able to listen to Michael. This is the metaverse <laughs> for me, seriously. I mean, what more do we want than the ability to listen to people who are smarter than we are? <laughs>
0: okay. I,
3: I have to turn to an eight-year-old.
0: I was going yeah. to say the most profound thing in this 70, 80 minutes or so, although there's been a lot of profound things, is that an eight-year-old is talking about the supply chain. To me, none
1: of that to get something she wanted too. So she had good. a direct application.
0: She knew <laughs> totally. a direct
3: application.
0: Yeah. yeah. To me, that's a, wow. a whole, that's probably more astounding than all the metaverse stuff that we just talked about. Now, yeah, part of that you know, is because she's reacting to. The way we're going, in the, and that's the metaverse. But the Let's fact that eight year though. olds are
3: doing that. Yeah, but Brad, let me tell you another one. And I think I told, told Paul this one. Five year old, now there's a five year old. Go back. To my- wow. <laughs> and I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get this cat to put on a jacket, right? So I go get your damn jacket. It's cold out. She doesn't even look at me. She turns and she goes, Alexa, what's the weather today? <laughs> it's going to be 64 degrees in South Salem. No jacket. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that's amazing. You know, this is a meta world, man. It, it, you know, think about it. They're starting life as five-year-olds and eight-year-olds. They're already meta. You know, it's they're meta natives. They're right? meta natives. Just meta-natives, like. meta-natives, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're internet immigrants, but our kids are internet natives. These kids are meta natives, and that's where it's amazing. going. Oh man, way to, that's to end. That's amazing. Well.
0: I have to say, this has been a successful first session of the CRM Players Station Venerables.
3: It will not be the last, folks. This is great. Seriously, this I was amazing. That was really great. So thanks for having me. I, you know, you've known you probably know Brent that I've i loved football literally like a brother for for decades. And Steve, it's a great honor. I mean, it's just such a great honor to he's so he's so humble and and reticent about his accomplishments and I've been following you, you know, without ever getting to meet you, Brent. So it's, it's, it's very cool. It's kind of a little dream come true. Thank you very much. Wow. Thank
0: you.
2: Well, and before we let
0: Steve go, do you want to tell us what's up tomorrow on Gilmore gang?
2: Yeah. Well, we don't have a time limit uh, on uh, the gang, so (laughs) it'll probably be (laughs) until the the last dog dies, basically. Right. <laughs> I did not notice that
1: every time I listen in, it's the Steve goes, Well, uh, Brent has a hard stop at four o'clock, or Brent has a five. it's like that's how it ultimately ends with thank all God the different hard stops over time. <laughs> I, I, because I, what happened every Friday, I, you know, I'm i usually doing something, but I turn on the Gilmore gang anyway and listen. I don't, I can't see it sometimes, but <laughs> that's I actually another one it. of those,
2: uh, those uh, compliments that I can. All right, so uh, Steve. What, Steve? What's uh, your
3: favorite? What's your favorite uh, of all time, uh, Nick Danger line? Do You have one. Um, you might not have one. I'm just, I'm just wondering.
1: I just bought a whole bunch of CDs of them.
2: Oh my gosh! You gotta I, I just, Everyone's I, got to listen. Everyone got them. Phil Austin was Nick Danger, and yeah. uh, there was a guy who was uh, uh, a musician in a comedian's clothing. Uh-huh. He he was, you know, you you just couldn't get your finger on uh, on how amazing this guy was, and then you'd uh-huh. he, he would just so to me the whole character of Nick Danger yeah, you Danger. You
3: got to bring so it, You got to do a show one time. You know, Nick Danger
2: right? Guy Noir.
1: Yeah, or,
3: or the whole si- You know, Fire Sign Theater. They're the greatest. I you do places at one time, right? How can you be in two one time when you know where at all?
2: There, there you go. There, there are people uh, on the gang, uh, Frank Radis for example, who is constantly spitting out Fireside references <laughs> to the point of nausea, because, you know, wow. most of the people who uh, watch or listen to that show uh, actually have heard of him, but that means that the rest of the universe hasn't. No, yeah. my kids just, vulnerable. I drive my,
3: ki- my kids crazy with it. Like, Moses, behold the mount. Aaron, <laughs> no, she's a beaut. Rat pretty too. <laughs> so I remember, you're asking
2: me for a quote. See, I, yeah, I, I, I love these guys. I'm with
1: you. I'm so with you. Look, so, I, I only I have one memory on this. When I was in college, I was I was probably a junior, sophomore, or junior. I can sort of picture the room, but I can't remember what dorm I was in. Um, and I just remember, see, the the fireside theater stuff was always carried in Chicago on the midnight special. That's what it was. So you had to stay up, you know, and they play Let the Midnight Special was their theme. And there would be a, a show that would start at midnight and it would be all kind of the, you know, new wave stuff of the time, the, the experimental stuff that people were mm-hmm. trying to do. It was a great show. I used to love it. it was the music, the, the comedy, and the Fireside Theater were probably the most singularly staple part of that show. I would listen to it, let's say it was once a week, every, I think it was Wednesday at midnight. I would listen... And the Fireside Theater one at probably three out of every four episodes. And then the fourth one would not be on. But I, I, that's how I grew to love them. I, and, I, and once I got to know who the Fireside Theater was, even when I was exhausted and I was tired and I just wanted to go to sleep, I'd stay up anyway. It didn't matter. I was going to listen.
2: There's a, they, clip they, on, there's a clip on the uh, internet right now uh, of George Martin telling his grandchildren uh, why he hi- uh, signed the Beatles and the reason is is that uh he didn't think much of the drummer the original drummer uh he didn't think their material was particularly good uh mm-hmm. but he he just liked these guys he started hanging out with them and in the mm-hmm. first meeting uh, uh george martin sort of ended the meeting by saying this is the producer and he was the head of ANR uh for Parlophone at that point and his previous uh, experience um, that he brought to this was producing records with uh, the forerunners of the of Fire Sign and Monty really? Python, The Goon Show. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Goon Show. So he yeah. produced records for yeah. them. You know, the, in Sergeant Pepper, the the when the, there's a laugh in the beginning of the of the Sergeant Pepper yeah. song, that's from a recording, a live recording of The Goon Show or of um uh, uh, the uh ben um Benny Hill no uh oh, that's my guy i know uh, the guy peter cook dudley moore oh uh the other yeah guys beyond the fringe it was a recording from one of these the two, I love shows it. so that that's the context and so he said well at the end of the meeting he said to uh, uh the beatles well uh is there anything you don't like uh about this uh you know our get together here and george harrison said yeah i don't like your tie (laughs) and at that point uh he was basically saying to george martin no no you think you're you're we're auditioning for you you're auditioning for us and at that point george martin decided yeah i'm gonna hang out with these guys and the rest is Still yeah, definite history yeah.
1: yeah history being written to this day amazing this
2: is so cool
0: this literally turned into a gilmore gang episode <laughs>
2: No it works but it works
1: it was just cross we just call it cross crossover. Uh, i'm cross sure michael
2: uh michael's been backed up now with back-to-backs uh into the sunset so uh, I have I been see. on the phone since
3: 9.30 this morning, but it's uh, it's it's all good. I mean, here in the wow. East Coast, but it's all good. I, I, it was such a pleasure. I'm to yeah. say well, adios.
0: We, awesome. We thank you all for right. doing this, taking time. So, on behalf of the venerable, Michael Mose, and the even more venerable, Ooh. Steve Kim, <laughs> <laughs> I'm smiling. I'm Brent Larry. <laughs> I'm
1: Paul Greenberg.
0: We are the CRM players and we can't end until you get a little taste of Winnie. Minnie. Minnie. I called her Winnie. Minnie. I just I know. See ya. See Bye. ya. Thanks, guys.